Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. As always, the podcast is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies and Liquidware. If you enjoy the podcast each week, you have them to thank. And now for some news. It was a pretty big week for Slack. First up, they released new desktop apps for Windows and Mac OS that are 33% faster than the previous version. The Verge reports the user interface has been rebuilt using React, which is a project that Slack has been working on for two years. The new version also brings session caching to help in the event of network latency or disconnects. It's not a true offline mode, but it does provide some resiliency when you have poor network connectivity. If you use Slack, particularly on Windows where I find it extremely slow, it's definitely time to consider an upgrade as all changes are available right now. Microsoft also announced Azure Boards for Slack. With the apps, users can create work items using a slash command or use message actions to convert conversations in the channel into work items. Users can also set up and manage subscriptions to get notifications in their channels whenever work items are created or updated. Additionally, previews for work item URLs enable users to then initiate discussions around work. So essentially, they're providing this really neat integration between Azure Boards and Slack and improving collaboration amongst developers and engineers. I think it's a really good move because Slack does seem to still be the clear darling for engineers and developers, even though recently you probably saw last week, use of Teams has actually surpassed Slack. But I find they have somewhat different audiences. And finally for Slack, Slack have reset passwords for about 1% of their user base, which is roughly about 100,000 users. This was in response to a 2015 security breach. ZDNet reports Back in 2015, Slack had also responded by forcing password resets and they rolled out two-factor authentication. Slack stated they received a batch of emails and passwords through their bug bounty program and upon investigation, they discovered the accounts were all in use during the 2015 breach. They took the precaution of resetting any accounts in use in 2015 except for those who hadn't already changed their passwords since the last forced reset are those using an SSO or single sign-on solution. Obviously, they did the same thing, but across the board back in 2015 during that breach. And people get really antsy and complain a lot that these vendors are forcing these password resets. But personally, I feel it's pretty good to err on the side of caution and I like that they're being proactive in doing this, even though they more than likely will get some flack from users. And speaking of forced password resets, Citrix CEO David Henshaw posted an update on the investigation into the internal network breach at Citrix that I reported on a few months ago on this podcast. In the statement, he suggests that the cyber criminals gained access to their internal network through password spraying, a technique that 
exploits weak passwords, which that's not new information, of course. Um, and once in the Citrix network, the cyber criminals intermittently accessed and over a limited number of days between October 13, 2018 and March 8, 2019, principally they stole business documents and files from a company shared network drive that had been used to store current and historical business documents as well as a drive associated with a web-based tool used in their consulting practices. The cyber criminals also may have accessed the individual virtual drives and company email accounts of a very limited number of compromised users and launched without further exploitation a limited number of internal applications. The investigators found no compromise or exfiltration beyond what has been previously disclosed by Citrix and which I've covered on the podcast in previous episodes. The cyber criminals have been expelled from the Citrix systems. There is no indication that the security of any Citrix product or customer cloud service was impacted, which was stated at the time. And it kind of, it kind of makes sense since they hosted on Azure anyways. And Citrix also state that they've determined that the cyber criminals did not discover or exploit any vulnerabilities in the Citrix product or services line. Citrix, of course, forced a global password reset, as I reported on the podcast. They have also improved their internal password management and strengthened password protocols. Mr. Henshaw goes on to state they have also improved logging at the firewall, increased data exfiltration monitoring capabilities, and eliminated internal access to non-essential web-based services, along with disabling non-essential data transfer pathways. Citrix also deployed FireEye's endpoint agent technology across their systems to provide an additional layer of defense. The podcast has been on the go for over a year and a half now. I've covered so many stories of different breaches. And actually, I cut some stories this week that I could have featured on this podcast about some breaches for smaller companies and some universities in the United States. It's just, it's so widespread. I don't think anyone could really look at a company that gets breached and be too hard on them because when you reach a certain size, you're a target. If you're smaller and you're operating with limited means, you might not be a prime target, but you could be a target just by the fact that you don't have all of the great security measures that Citrix have now implemented in their environment. Like I said, I like that Slack went and forced a password reset. At the time when I reported on Citrix forcing the password reset for share file customers, I like that they did that too. I think it is better to be proactive and to secure and prevent any bad actors from accessing your data. It's kind of like when the bank detects that you used your card at a grocery store or shop or whatever that had been breached and they just automatically send you out a new card. It's kind of a pain in the butt that you got to go activate it, get rid of the other card, but better safe than sorry. And most importantly, just like Citrix and just like Slack, the most important thing there is that lessons are learned and things are improved upon to prevent it from happening again or at least as much as possible because 
it's probably impossible to completely eliminate the threat of getting hacked or breached. Sticking with Citrix, Citrix app layering version 1907 has been released with multiple fixes included our improved OneDrive compatibility, improved stability to avoid desktop hangs, improved stability by avoiding deadlocks, which can happen during a volume rescan. And also after a major operating system version upgrade on the OS layer, there was a problem with the user layer cleanup when users logged in. The cleanup has now been fixed and completes and the issue has just been completely fixed. This version also now supports Citrix Virtual Apps and Desktop version 7.19.06 and Citrix Provisioning version 19.06. TechCrunch.com has reported on rumors that Apple may be about to acquire most of Intel's smartphone modem business in a deal that could be worth $1 billion. Currently, Apple have a deal in place with Qualcomm for 5G capabilities in iPhones, but clearly with this potential acquisition, Apple would get Intel's engineers, patents, and products for 5G to utilize for their devices going forward. Apple, of course, one of their strengths and benefits is they own soup to nuts, their devices, their operating system, a lot of their built-in software, and they control third-party software that can go on devices. So it makes a lot of sense for them to acquire the technology that's going to be key for 5G and iPhones, particularly when there were some um, concerns with Qualcomm in the not too distant past. Morris Daily has released version 6.3.0 of his great driver automation tool. This release extends Microsoft Surface support. There's an ability to package Surface downloads into driver or BIOS packages and also to run firmware updates for Surface and more. So check that out. I'll share a link for that with this episode, which is episode 82 on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. Microsoft issued a reminder that Skype for Business's public IM federation is set to change in mid-August. It will start to use federated partner discovery for federation between Skype for Business on-premises deployments and Skype consumer version. Microsoft go on to warn that this change may require the purchase of a new certificate. So if you're one of the customers that could be affected, you may want to get on the ball or else you might be in for a nasty surprise come August 15th. Gizmodo had a pretty odd article earlier this week titled, You Might Want to Uninstall VLC Immediately. Pretty dramatic. They stated there was a vulnerability discovered that allowed bad actors to gain access to your systems and view your files. The vulnerability in question was CVE-2019-13615. Video LAN, the makers of VLC, came out and clarified that the vulnerability was through a third-party library called LIBEBML and that they actually patched this back in version 3.0.3 of VLC over 16 months ago, and VLC today is not vulnerable. Gizmodo also later updated their post, stating that the severity of the vulnerability was lowered to medium, stating that victims would have to voluntarily interact with the attack mechanism. They also updated the title of their article to you might want to 
uninstall VLC immediately and then in brackets updated colon maybe not. By the time they updated the article, the horse had already bolted, so changing the title would have been closing the gate when the horse had already bolted. But still, I think just adding in the maybe not doesn't really go too far. It seemed there was hundreds of thousands of shares and potentially hundreds of thousands of reads of this article. I feel like the bad news has probably gone around the world before this update could come in. I feel pretty bad for VLC. They've been pretty open about vulnerabilities and fixes in the past. And you may recall I've covered on the podcast in a few different episodes, there was a initiative launched in Europe to provide a bug bounty program for some of the most widely used open source applications in the world that include VLC player. And the founder of VideoLAN actually came out and said how effective that's been for them and the number of fixes they've been rolling out in the last few releases were squarely due to the fact that this bug bounty program is leading to vulnerabilities getting disclosed and shared with them so they could fix them. I feel like it kind of sucks that they got bad press for this. They really didn't deserve it. Intuit emailed customers about unauthorized account accesses. This is very worrying as TurboTax is a hugely popular product for filing tax returns in the United States. Those affected are told actions were taken to secure their accounts, but attackers may have obtained names, addresses, last year's tax return, driver's license numbers, and other financial info like salary and deductions. It doesn't say anything about bank details or payment info, so hopefully they didn't get that because that would be pretty much everything then. The Microsoft MSIX team has released some MSIX labs and training videos. If you'd like instructor-led training to get your feet wet with MSIX, definitely check this out. A new community effort is being launched called EUC-X. Bass Van Camp suggests this initiative will take many shapes, including a bi-weekly podcast and multiple events a year. If you'd like to sponsor their initiative, which is registered as a nonprofit foundation in the Netherlands, you can reach out to them by info at euc-x.com. Ryan and the gang at ICT-R have rebranded to Go-EUC. If you follow this podcast, you'll have heard me cover many of their great in-depth performance analysis articles in the past. Well, this is the first article that I'm going to cover under their new Go-EUC banner, and it's a good one. I should probably just call it Go-EUC, but it's Go-EUC for the website. The most recent microarchitectural data sampling vulnerabilities named Fallout, Riddle, and Zombie Load were relatively quickly patched by vendors like Microsoft, Google, and VMware. There wasn't as much chatter in the community about the impact of these mitigations compared to, say, the months of talk about Spectre and Meltdowns. I don't want to give away the findings of the articles on the podcast, but rather just bring your attention to them. They measure multiple different scenarios, such as vSphere and Windows patched and mitigated, tested against partially patched but without the Windows patches, or also comparing against the systems without any patches and more. 
There's one particular scenario they cover in which logon performance is very dramatically impacted amongst other surprising findings. Definitely check this one out. Jeremy Moskowitz's brand new book is available now. It's titled MDM, Fundamentals, Security, and Modern Desktop. This book gives you chapter-by-chapter, step-by-step directions on how to get started with Azure AD, Intune, and Autopilot. You'll learn how MDM is similar but very different than group policy, how to roll out and troubleshoot MDM and Intune, and quickly roll out new machines with Autopilot. Along the way, you'll keep your users' data safe in OneDrive, remotely deploy software, and nuke or refresh a machine from the comfort of your desk. Without this book, you'll be in the dark where to start. This book is your flashlight. Nice line. And if that piques your interest, you may also be interested in Jeremy's highly regarded book, Group Policy, Fundamental Security in the Managed Desktop. Jeremy is the authority when it comes to group policy. As someone who hates group policy, this is right up my alley as a self-help book or coping mechanism. I'll share a link for ordering the books with this episode, which is, again, episode 82 on 5bytespodcast.com. You'll find it under reference links. I stumbled across a pretty cool concept UX for Windows 10 called Modern OS that is freely available on GitHub courtesy of Niels Lopt. It is just a concept, but I think it's really cool. I would love to see something like this in the future. If you'd like a glimpse, check out the video version of this week's podcast. I'll put that on 5bytespodcast.com too. In the episode guide, you'll find it with episode 82 under YouTube. There's moving images in the background and a really slick launch pad for your apps. It is really, really cool looking, so check that out. And now, the weekly webinar. So I have a couple of items to touch on this week. First, a quick callback. I talked about a team RGE event that was being held in Utrecht in Netherlands a few weeks ago that had a lot of awesome free sessions and a free dinner for attendees. The sessions are now available online at teamrge.com, so check those out. But also, upcoming in the next week, there's a webinar on July 30th at 5 p.m. BST on the topic of going passwordless with Yubico and Microsoft. Yubico, of course, make those great FIDO2 keys that you can use for secure passwordless sign-in. It seems like this is becoming really popular, particularly for techies' own personal use. If you've heard all the chatter about Microsoft going passwordless in the future, um, but you don't have any exposure to these FIDO2 keys or this passwordless type of setup, you'll want to check this out. Or even if you maybe use your Yubico keys uh, for your personal stuff, but you'd like to see how to integrate it with Azure AD, check out this webinar. And now this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. Hal Lang, who is pretty much the OG expert on Citrix WEM from back in the Norskill days before the acquisition, shared some of his personal preferences when it comes to using the optimization features within the tool. On Twitter this week, I saw that he states that he sets the CPU spike by 1% less than one core's percentage. Meaning, say, if you have four cores, each core equals 25%, so you would set your CPU spike to 24%. Guy Leach 
who shares some really great tidbits on Twitter just all the time. So follow him. It's at Guy Leach. Um, well, this week he shared some tips around regedit. One of those being that you can export registry to a text file to see the last time it was written to. This could be pretty handy when rationalizing your environment or even just for troubleshooting purposes. And a script Andreas Nick shared another great script on his GitHub repo. This one is to output your list of PowerShell modules into a nicely formatted PDF, essentially creating your own little PowerShell book. It's pretty cool. Finally, I also uh, came across a great video this week by Hansang Bay. It's actually pretty old. I think it was posted in 2017. But it's a series of videos on YouTube covering ICA troubleshooting using Wireshark. My biggest weakness is the network side of IT. I'll admit that readily. Packet traces, setting up DHCP scopes, configuring VLANs. I may understand things. I could probably do the very basics, but... Given too much access, I'm probably dangerous. I haven't really thrown myself into that space too much yet, and doing Wireshark traces to me is pretty alien. I can look at packets, I could tell what the majority of packets are related to, but I can't dig deep into it like, say, something like Procmon, which I'm pretty well versed in. Wireshark traces can be of vital importance when troubleshooting the classic Citrix's slow complaints, and this can show you how to figure that stuff out. So you'll probably want to check out this video if you're in the UC space, an uh, engineer who primarily deals within wide area networks or even just within the same data center. There's a lot of complexity when it comes to communication and networking. Finally, before I wrap up, I'd just like to announce that I am running the RoryMon.com Fantasy Premier League competition again this year. This is actually the third year that I've run the competition. The winner of the league at the end of the season gets their jersey of choice. Last year's winner was Matthew McKee in Northern Ireland, and he got a Liverpool jersey, which actually coincidentally arrived the day before Liverpool played in the Champions League final, so that was pretty good timing. Uh, the first winner, Ambar Roy, got a Manchester United home jersey. And I also do spot prizes for different things like best team name where the winner just gets like a Amazon gift card. So it's a bit of fun. And if you're a techie who's into football or soccer, whatever you may call it, I actually call it soccer, not because I'm Americanized, but because to me, football is the Irish football, Gaelic football. But to each their own and whatever you call it, if you're interested in playing the fantasy league, I'll share a link with this episode, which is episode 82. You can sign up and you'll just give your name and your email address. You'll get the code to join the league instantly. And I'll send out an email with the survey for picking the best team name once the season is kicked off. And best of luck. And that's it for another week. Thank you all so much for listening.